So, you know, I've been on lots of flights, been on lots of planes. I've been doing this for 23 years. And I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that I can tell the quality of the trip by how much uh, conflict there is on the way. In other words, how Satan gets involved. I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm going to post it on social media. You can read it there. But uh, this by far, this trip by far, was significantly more than any other trip. I'll just give you one story. So coming back, we flew 27,000 miles between here and uh, Nepal, Mozambique, South Africa, and back. And um, so I'm on my last flight at London, getting ready to come home, exhausted. And we're all on the plane, all settled in, ready to go. I'm laying back to go to sleep. And the captain gets on and he says, you know, there are some days I would just rather be at home enjoying a gin and tonic. You don't ever want to hear that. And he said, uh, this is one of those days, but I'm unfortunately the bearer of bad news, bad news, and more bad news. He said, our plane has a hole in it. We're not going anywhere. It has been removed from service. And apparently they pulled the ladder underneath to hook up the electricity. And, and when people got on board, the plane came down on top of the ladder and punched the hole in it. Well, it's one of the new ones. So it's that special metal that they just can't, they have to get. it. So he said, so that's the bad news, but it gets worse from there. Uh, in England, um, well, since we boarded the plane, you're te- technically now international, so you can't get off the plane. So until border patrol comes, and uh, they're going to have to check every person off and on. So we're going to sit here for a couple hours while they figure out what to do. And also, uh, they're going to look for another plane for us. Uh, it's late in the day. So a little bit later, he gets back on. He said, okay, we're getting ready to uh, disembark, uh, most of you. He said, here's how it's going to work. Uh, we're going to let business class at first class go first. And then, uh, here's more bad news. We do have another plane, but it's a little smaller than this one. So economy can't get off until 32 of you have agreed that you're not getting on this flight. So um, um, Border Patrol is not going to let you go back into the airport until the 32 of you have identified yourself. You go first, and they process you, and then the rest of you go to the next gate. So it's like, wow, I just want to get home. <laughs> so that's the way the flight went. That's, I mean, that's the way the whole trip went. And there's a whole lot more stories than that on this trip. I got to see my friend, and she uh, can't... Uh, really do anything anymore. She can breathe. For those of you that don't know, she has ALS, and uh, she's down to the final time. She can still breathe. That's, that'll probably go next, and uh, she can use her eyes. So I walked in. As soon as she saw me, her eyes filled with tears. So did mine. And I sat down, and I said, you know who I am, right? She shook her head, and I go, okay, good. You're still in there. Just wanted to make sure. So I held her hand several times throughout the two days I was there. I said, can you feel this? Mm, good. So when I got ready to leave, I said, just like I say every time I leave, Lord willing, I will see you next year. And that's really true. Uh, And if not, whichever one of us goes first, the other one will catch up real soon. And she started to cry, and so did I. So I will be surprised if I see her again. I hope I do. Um, I mean, in, on this earth. <laughs> okay, so Lent number three. This is the third Sunday of Lent. Why do we do Lent? Remember why? We do Lent because we really want to spend that time preparing us for the cross, preparing us for the death, burial, resurrection, and the celebration 
on Resurrection Sunday, Easter, when he gets to jump up and down and say, he did it. This is wonderful. He has risen. So these, this Lent period of Lent is preparing us. And so we're still in a series, a house that God built. That's a series that we're in. We're looking at what this house that Leviticus talked about that the Spirit's now building. What does it look like? And so we've been figuring that out. So we're, we're taking a little detour during Lent to look at the covenants. Because I've said the covenants in Scripture, believe it or not, they are the, they are the pathway, if you will. Picture this. Picture a dark world, and all of a sudden you have a light guiding you. And that's what the covenants do. The covenants lay the, the, the pathway, the journey, if, if you will. David talks about that in Psalm 119. Let's put Psalm 119 up there. Familiar verse. Your word is a lamp for my feet. So I can see right here and a light for my path. And uh, that's, what the, um, that's what the covenants do, okay? The covenant, remember what a covenant is. It's a treaty or an agreement between two people. The particular covenant we have in Scripture is called the disparity covenant, okay? You have a parity covenant like a husband and wife, and you have a disparity covenant where you have two different people. One is in charge or above the other one in power. And in this case, so it would be like a king and a servant or a slave or something. We have God in us. And so the disparity covenants are all alike. God chooses the partner to the covenant. We don't have that choice. He declares the terms of the covenant. He determines the consequences of obedience or failure. He identifies the sign, and each covenant has a sign. So the covenant is described throughout Scripture by God as, this is my covenant, not our covenant. I make the covenant, and and your only choice is to accept it or reject it. Now, these covenants, this this pattern that we see, this scheme, is all throughout the ancient world. This was nothing new to the Israelites or to um, these people in the Bible. It was very common in the ancient world. But what's different about the covenants in Scripture is that they dominate the theology. They dominate the entire narrative, the story, if you will. The covenants lay out the theology of where God is going. So if you look at the covenants, you begin to see what grace and love and mercy looks like in this world. Okay, so you may remember, um, it's interesting that that a lot of scholarship today looks at the uh, Adam and Eve story as mythological. I don't. I actually look at it as as uh, a story that's communicating a very genuine and real fact. It lays out the groundwork for how everything functions in the cosmos. So two weeks ago, we called that the cosmos, the covenant of the cosmos, where you have God. Okay, he's the sovereign one. And then he has two groups of people that are going to respond to him. One is creation. Yes, creation has a responsibility. And he assigns that responsibility. All the way through the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, he talks about what that responsibility is. Like, for example, the sun and the moon, they regulate the seasons and the weeks and the years. They're the ones that keep um, creation all ordered, if you will. Then on the other side, the other group is the earth and the inhabitants of the earth. And those two groups are in, they're in a symbiotic relationship with one another. So we can't live without the earth. It's where we get our food from, okay? And by the same token, the earth can't survive without us. It can't perform its function without us. Because how on earth would it grow enough food? We have to cultivate it. So therefore, God entered into a covenant with uh, Adam, the first human, and Eve to, to show what that's going to look like and how to cultivate that. So he lays down the, ground, the grounds of this covenant, if you will. The purpose of this very first covenant was to create 
uh, and I do believe in creation, okay? I'm not going to talk about how he did it. Maybe he did it through evolution. I don't know the answer to that. My area is theology, not geology. Go ask a, a science person. They'll tell you that. But he has all of this, these pieces that are interworking together for a reason because the creation was designed to function precisely as he had intended it, and therefore it would display his glory. To whom? Us. I said many times that creation serves several vital roles. One is, is that we get to enjoy it. It's our playground. It was made for us. We are to take care of it. That's why I've said environmentalism should be one of our core tenets because this is a gift from the Lord. Well, the other thing it's designed to do is reveal the glory of the Lord. Psalm 119, it shouts the glory of the Lord. And, um, and so it's there to show us that we're not alone. Okay. Yeah, we do live by faith, but more than faith, God didn't leave us alone. He gives us plenty of evidence to, to get to this place. So today, we're going to take a look at a specific element within that where he refined the covenant even more, and that's with Adam. You see, Adam was his representative and therefore his deputy, his vice regent, as you will, and his assignment was real simple to govern the creation. That was his job, to govern the creation. He had administrative duties to promote the well-being of the earth. Don't forget that, of the earth. Okay, yes, I believe in environmentalism. Having traveled many times around the world, I love our country and its environmental policies. This is a clean place to live, okay? Most of the country you go to, I can't even drink the water, all right? I, I wouldn't want to. And this is wonderful. So it's, it's, that was his job, was to take care of the earth and all the living creatures. And we're going to see that that changes today with another part of the covenant. So, um, you know the story. What was lost in the original covenant? Well, before we tell you what was lost, let me tell you how the covenant in our version disagrees with all of the ancient creation narratives. There's so many ways to look at the differences, but there's a real important one when it comes to Adam and Eve. Let's, remi- let's remind us ourselves, let's remember uh, what the responsibility was. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind humans in our image, in our likeness. This is talking about Adam and Eve. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made mankind in his own image. Okay, um, I think there's another one, isn't there? Is there another slide to it? Or did I forget the... Oh, it is? Oh, I can't read. Remember, I'm tired. <laughs> so if I fall asleep, apparently that's what most of you do. In the, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. Remember that, fill the earth, subdue it, okay, increase in number, because we're going to come back to that one. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we had caretaking responsibilities. We had caretaking responsibilities over the earth and over all of the creatures, the living creatures, the inhabitants of the earth. Okay, now, when you look at the surrounding stories of creation, all the ancient nations around them them at this time had a very different perspective of what was happening. So I'm just going to quote two or three of these. You can ask me later where they come from, Um, different law codes. Here's one of the quotes. Let me create a primeval man so that the work of the gods shall be imposed on him. 
Here's another one, another different law code. Create a man so that he may bear the yoke and carry the toil of the gods. Here's another one. It's from Babylon. Man is the shadow of a god and a slave is the shadow of a man. So he's a slave. So these citations suggest that the ancient world saw humanity as created to be the slaves of the God. And I've said that many, many times. What a surprise. Our God steps in and says, no, 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 I don't want you to be a slave. We're vice regents. I'm going to give you responsibility. I'm going to make this whole creation, and I want you to take care of it. I mean, what an honor. So right from the beginning, you see dignity with us. Okay, God built us with dignity and responsibility, not enslavement. And that's one of the ways we depart from all of the ancient religions. So uh, it's a wonderful thing. But then you know what happened? They ate the wrong, from the wrong tree. That may seem insignificant. We'll come back to that in a minute because it's disastrous. So the first couple rejected their role as image bearers in lieu of their personal pleasure. So Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. Although they knew God, they is Adam and Eve, and he qualifies it every human. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to them, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And he goes on over several chapters and explains what that looks like. Okay, This is one of the heart ideas of Christianity, is that Adam and Eve, they... Uh, They committed idolatry is what they did. That's the real simple idea. They decided, I want what I want, not what God wants. And that was the temptation. If you eat from this tree, then you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That's idolatry. Anytime we have anything in our life that replaces God, that's called idolatry. It doesn't matter what it is, sexual conquest, greed, you fill in the blank. Uh, whatever it is, it's a form of idolatry. And Paul says this was the beginning of this, the beginning of this whole disaster. So he said um, there were two prominent trees, tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. He said, eat from one, don't eat from the other. And of course, they ate from the one. Why was that important? Well, there's several levels to answering that question, but a simple one was we're not created for the knowledge of good and evil. We're simply not created. That is a divine prerogative because we have to be omniscient to know the difference between good and evil because I don't know your motives and I don't know your circumstances. And you see it all the time, the way it plays out. So you show up late for work and your boss says, you're, you know, you're late. One more time, I'm going to fire you. You say, I'm sorry, but my spouse was in a car accident and I had to go to the emergency room. Oh, well, then that's okay. Okay, if they, only knew the, if they had known the circumstances, then he would have figured it out. But they didn't know the circumstances. And so once they hear them, everything changes. That's why we tell people, when you start to form an opinion about somebody, hold it very loosely, okay? Hold it very loosely, because you probably are wrong, <laughs> whatever you're concluding. It takes a lifetime to form an opinion about somebody that's mostly accurate. It really is. Okay? And the rest of the Bible is trying to protect us from this. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives it generously. Paul says in uh, Galatians 6 that be careful, you're going to fall into the same trap of whoever you're confronting. Um, most of the, many of the writers said, ascertain the facts on the basis of two or three witnesses. The law in Leviticus said, never do it on the basis of one. Okay? Based on two or three 
uh, do it that way. And so God's still trying to protect us from this. So uh, parents, you come back from vacation, taking your kids away. What's your thought? I need a vacation. Why? Because for several days you've heard he said, she said, and you're not Solomon. You can't cut them in half with a sword. And you don't have the knowledge to know which of the kids, I'm talking to you two right there, <laughs> which of the kids were right and was, which of the kid was right and which one's not. You can't figure that out. So God was trying to protect us. That's all he's trying to do. That's what that's all about. We weren't made for that. Of course, that was the temptation and that's what they wanted. So fundamental to creation and dignity was the right to decide, freedom to choose. That was fundamental to our dignity. And so otherwise, we're just robots, okay? It's not based on fate. It's not based on any of that. It's based on freedom. So in the New Covenant, that's why Paul can say in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Just don't use your freedom to sin, okay? But remember that the consequences of any covenant were determined by God and the consequences of this covenant when they decided to rebel were disastrous. Every relationship was destroyed. Everyone between the man and the woman. Okay, and our best marriages, in the best marriages, we still have trouble. We still have tension, don't we? Uh, at least I do. Maybe you have perfect marriages. I keep telling Nancy that if she was perfect, our marriage would be better. Every marriage, we have this problem. We have this tension. And that's in the best marriages between God and humanity. Well, that's a story you're all familiar with. We need the Messiah to come and rescue us. We'll get into more of that down the road. Between humanity and creation, now we have this tension going on all the time. Paul says in Romans 8 that God subjected this creation to frustration because of us. And I'll show you why in a minute. That's actually a statement of grace. Okay, between um, God and creation, um, you know, the whole relationship is messed up. And between the woman and her offspring, and that's all captured by the curse. So this, what God did after Adam, he rejected the covenant by deciding to disobey the terms of the agreement. Do this, not this. So he did this. That means he rejected the covenant. Remember, the only option we have is to obey or disobey. And so <clears throat> what happened was God kind of step back and watch humanity slide into complete depravity, we call it, and chaos, which still rules the world. Still rules the world. You had no caretaker overseeing anything. You didn't have any of that. Every sin that, that we know today was present in Genesis 1, uh, 3 through 11. And then he decides it's, it, something has to be done. There were some surprises along the way. Enoch, for example, was faithful to the Lord. We'll see that in a minute. And so um, humanity was no longer able. They failed at fulfilling the mandate to take care of creation because they are more concerned with each other now. So this is where you see adultery, murder, everything floating to the surface is in this period of time. So the question arises, what is God going to do? Well, that answer is in Noah. He's going to replace Adam. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, three or four chapters. It's a long story. Most of you are familiar with Noah, the ark and the flood and all that. I'm not interested in that part of it. You can go back and read it if you want. I'm interested in what happened because of that and the changes that God made. But first, um, we learn 
that uh, just like Enoch was faithful to the Lord, so is Noah. In fact, let's put those verses up. We'll compare it. So Enoch, this is Genesis 5. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. So he had a special privilege, if you will. Uh, Noah, in the next chapter, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So one got to the privilege of getting to go home and just avoid the mess, and the other one got the responsibility of taking on the, the pressures of the world. Okay? I know which one I'd like to be, but that's another, another day. So there are two, with this, only two with this description, these two. So along comes Noah, a man who finds favor with God, who's, who he shows him grace, because somewhere in the middle of this mess, he didn't mess up. Somewhere in the middle, he remained faithful, and God chose him because of that. So um, what we needed was a renewed covenant, if you will, because the primary, the primary uh, situation of all of humanity was pretty bad. Hebrews, I mean, Genesis 6 verse 11 talks about this. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence. It's kind of true today. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So we need something new. It's a disaster. And there's no hope from inside to correct it. So what's going to happen? We need a new vice regent to protect the animals. Who's that going to be? Noah. And therefore us. By extrapolation. And Noah's story, uh, I mean, you all know the basics to it, but read it carefully. It is a stunning story of how God decides to communicate and work with Noah. Genesis 6, 13. Okay. Now, God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. Okay. Uh, a year ago, one of my friends who is a leader in the county called me up and said, you got time for a drink? He's not a Christian. I go, yeah, we've been talking about religion and Christ. And he goes, I'm just really angry with Christianity. I want to punch it in the nose. He's asking me for a drink. Uh, are you talking about me? <laughs> no, 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 not you. So I wonder what Noah thought when he heard this. Okay. I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm going to destroy both them and the earth. I can imagine from Noah's perspective, uh, what about me? <laughs> right? And so he, he gets to hear it. He has shared, God shared his assessment of the cosmos with Noah and his decision to destroy both the earth and its inhabitants. Those are the two key pieces to the original covenant. Okay? In other words, he's talking about destroying the covenant and all of creation. And so, but we begin to see grace, just a little pen light of grace begin to shine because he recognized in Noah something good. So life can be salvaged. Life can be salvaged. So he gives perhaps the most absurd command in the Bible in a desert, go make yourself an ark. Do you want me to do what? Go make yourself an ark. That's what I want you to do. It's got to be 
one of the more, I can't wait to get there and ask him, what was your first response? You've got to be kidding me. Make an ark, really? And God said, yeah, really. You see, this represents a renewed covenant because he's giving Noah a command. What's Noah's choice? Obey or disobey. So then he says in verse 18, I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm picking the snippets out to get you to see the parts that I think are important. I will establish my covenant with you, Noah. Now, I don't know what he knew about Adam. I don't have any of that information. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he said, I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Okay? So he's now making a covenant with Noah. And what's the purpose of this covenant? Okay, this is fascinating. Verse 19. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive. This was part of the original covenant. Take care of the animals. You're to keep them alive. But he goes on. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. It says it twice in two verses. You see, that's the purpose of the covenant would be to keep the inhabitants of the earth alive. And that fits within what we call our cultural mandate. Our responsibility as humans is to take care of the earth and the animals. Those are the two key parts of Genesis uh, when he created the humans. We have a job to do. We get to to reign. We're co-regents with Christ. Take care of the earth and take care of the animals. So he's going to put them all in this ark so that they can keep them alive, if you will. Okay, then you have um, that question that gets raised is, would he obey or would he disobey? Uh, well, you know the story. I mean, there's no surprise there. It's one of the problems with knowing the story. It's hard to surprise you. He obeyed. Flood, flood passed a year later. They're back on the land, okay? After the flood was over, God made a promise concerning his creation. Chapter 8, verse 21. So Noah had offered this sacrifice as a way of saying thank you. His heart really was was tuned toward the Lord. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, I love that, that he shares with us what he's thinking. He said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Now hold on to that thought right there. And even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. You see, the ground and all living things represents the original creation and therefore the original covenant. God preserved the two key parts of the covenant that we're responsible for, the creation and the inhabitants, all the animals. We are to care for the animals. This phrase, because of humans, shows that he anticipated further human rebellion. That problem hasn't been fixed. The very next chapter... We have the Tower of Babel. We'll come to that next Sunday. Um, and so he was right. We're not done with our evil. And the evil is a gift that just keeps on giving. Over and over. Look what's happening in Ukraine. There's this one a classic example. you got one right there. But there's so many. Everywhere we look, we see it. This is telling us the truth, how evil permeates everything. 
And so what God is doing right now is he, just, he's, he did something to preserve life so that he can continue the relationship and do some further things down the road. Now remember, these covenants, I've said, they start to build on one another. They layer on top of each other. And every covenant reveals more about where God is taking us. And he's in the journey to restore what he originally created, which Adam blew and Eve. Okay, He wants to restore us to that. So this suggests the need for a more permanent solution, which we know later on is going to be the Messiah. But let's don't jump the story too far yet. But here's a fascinating verse in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 2. Here's one of the things that got added in this, this covenant, this renewed covenant. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth, on all the birds in the sky, and on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea, they're given into your hands. Okay, now you think about that. He put the fear of us inside these, this animal world. Okay? Now, this is the only world we know. Right? Have you ever thought about how they got all these wild animals to live together? I mean, how do you get a lion to live with a lamb and an ark? Well, up until now, the animals have been tame. In fact, when you read this story of Moses carefully with the ark... The animals came to him. They're tame. They're almost like pets. They come to him, but now God does something incredible. He puts within the animal kingdom terror and fear of us. Why on earth would God do that? You know what I think? To protect the animals. It's an act of grace. Look what we have right now. We have poachers. We have all kinds of... We have, the un, we have the ability, because of our thinking, to destroy the animal kingdom on our own. I'm so grateful that we have watch groups out there that talk about animals that are going extinct, so we put in place something to protect them, and then we see them start to replenish again. All around the world, we have no problem killing animals. And so I think God put this fear in them for their protection. He just divided the two realms, humans and animals. And they run from us now. So it's a natural instinct. Well, there's a lot of other issues that come with that. But at the very heart of it is that you have this. That's why I said in Romans 8, when he says he subjected the creation to frustration, here's an example of it right here. It's for grace to protect the animal kingdom because we know how to destroy them. We do, and it's very easy for us to do. So Noah becomes the new royal guardian, if you will, the new governor, a second Adam. He becomes the new vice regent, but this time he obeys. Not like Adam and Eve. So here are the covenant stipulations that God put in place. Remember, we don't have any say over it. We can only agree or disagree. So here's what God committed to. Number one, God would never again destroy the earth and its inhabitants. Okay? Number two, he would now assist us in fulfilling our job. And starting in Noah and going forward, as we see creation, as we see humanity develop, we begin to do what he wanted us to do. We have the EPA. No matter what you think about it, we still have a pretty clean country. Okay? We have, uh, we have watch groups over animals. And so we have these groups that are enabling us to fulfill our mandate to take care of the earth and the creation. But now he helps us to do that. Putting fear in the animals is one of the way, ways to do that. So we're not just going to slaughter them. Uh, by the way, if you've never done this, I'd 
encourage you to talk to the Roblins here. They do a lot with horses, and he has taught me so much about how we can connect, which restores part of the curse. So all of you, many of you have pets, and you have just a small glimmer of what God intended and where we're headed one day. But Craig told me the story of horses and how they, they emotionally connect with these horses, and I got to go out and watch it happen. I've never, I mean, I was raised on the ocean. I don't think about these big critters that I want nothing to do with, you know, and we got to see it happen. I got to watch it happen. Nancy and I on our honeymoon, she wanted to ride horses. I'd never even been around a horse. So we go to this place where they begin to ride horses. And the lady said, have you ever ridden horses? I go, nope. And she goes, hmm. So you're not very interested in that? I go, nope. And she goes, why not? I said, look at the size of that thing. I have no idea what to do with it. She goes, ah. Got it. I'll be right back. She drags this horse out. She goes, this horse is just for you. Horse's name is Muffins. <laughs> I said, perfect. What do I do? Climb on. How do I do that? What do I do now? Hold that thing in the middle. Okay. I said, now what? She goes, that's it. Muffins knows exactly what to do. <laughs> that's my one and only time on horses. And I'm a happy guy. Okay. And yet what he showed me out there was just phenomenal at what we are capable of by doing it the right way, not filled with chaos and sin and evil. It's just remarkable. So if you've never known anything about that, go have a conversation with him. So he restored the original covenant that he had made with Adam, but now he did it with Noah, and Noah obeyed. So from then on, now we have people a remnant beginning to grow of people that will carry out that covenant, the cultural mandate to take care of the earth and to take care of the inhabitants, the animals. But then he says something very interested. Okay, remember, he gets to choose the sign. We don't. What's the sign of this one? The flood. The what? Just say it. It's a rainbow. You learned that in Sunday school, right? Genesis 9 in verse 14 is a really fascinating part of this story. Whenever I bring clouds over, now here, pay attention. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth, and this is repeated many times throughout the Bible, he's responsible for this, and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I, I will remember my covenant. This is written from his perspective. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all of life. So the rainbow was there for him. Okay? Does God need a reminder? This is a story, this is a piece of it that's about grace. Whenever you see the rainbow, you can, remem- you can be reminded that I am also reminded and I will never do this again. Sin is going to continue on. Destruction is going to continue to happen. Okay? But I will never do this again and destroy it. So then the covenant stipulation for Noah and therefore for us is very simple. Verse 1, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. Okay? That's the same one he gave to Adam and Eve. So let me just say a word about reproduction. not going to get into the ethics of it. I'll let you guys all decide your own story there. But I want you to see reproduction is an act of grace. There is no way 
we can fulfill the covenant without multiplying. Noah could not take care of all the animals on the earth. He needed a whole bunch of people to do that. And that comes in the form of social structures all around the world. Okay? In Nepal, when I was there three years ago, they, uh, they had put in place rules that you couldn't burn your trash. It's against the law now, things like that. And my students, most of them for the first time in their lives, got to see the stars. They had never seen the stars. The pollution was so bad. So, reproduction is an act of grace. Okay? But then he gives us one more command in verse 4. You must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. It's the first time we see that command. It's repeated in the law. Animals have dignity. And so you can't kill an animal and drink the blood. So he's beginning to do it. So here's what he's done. He has separated the realms and created tension between all of them so that we will survive. If he hadn't done that, we probably would have destroyed the animal kingdom. So now there's tension everywhere we turn, and that's what we're used to, to keep this earth sustainable. Sustainable is nothing new. That's what God's doing in this covenant right here, is making it so that we can all exist at the same time. Okay? Now, this does not answer many of the other problems that are created by the fall. That's going to come in successive covenants. He's going to very slowly open the doors to what his plan is and his grace and his love for us so we can see in a very real way how much he loves us, that he didn't give up, and he wants to restore, in a sense, Eden, but something better than Eden. So these covenants are the the light down the pathway through the Bible that show us what he's doing. Show us his love and his grace. And so some of the things we see today that we don't like, they're there on purpose to keep us in tension and therefore alive. Okay? It's a wonderful covenant. Go back and read the story, but read the details. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending us your son. But thank you also, Lord, for um, not just scrapping the whole thing and starting over again, but for finding one of the most creative, ingenious ways to navigate it that we don't find in any other religion. Thank you. Because it shows us very steadily how much you love us by revealing to us your grace and taking and not forgetting us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.